Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about why you don't have imposter syndrome. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> yes. And so what we mean by that is not that you're not feeling something that seems like imposter syndrome, but I think it's probably not imposter syndrome. I think it might be something else. And I think we agree about that. But let's let's mm -hmm. explore the space. Um, so thanks. This, this is actually thanks to a listener request who sent in uh, an ask about looking for uh, a book for a friend, uh, asking for a friend about <laughs> imposter syndrome uh and it was he he wasn't finding anything that he liked on amazon so uh rochelle actually dug something up we'll put it in the show notes that's not the point though uh it just got us talking about imposter syndrome and our experience with it in coaching and in other communities that we're in and uh and i think we made a connection to something else because it feels similar to another feeling that people talk about Let's go here next. So when Seth came on this show, he had probably the greatest quote I've ever heard about imposter syndrome, which was, if you're not feeling like an imposter, I would argue you're not working hard enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, right? And the Exactly. The, yeah. And and it, it to me, it's kind of like, and it, you know, this is from him too. I think we probably talked about it right after he said that. But if you're doing something new, you're doing you know, when he says not working hard enough, you know, you're not like trying to make a big enough difference. You're not swinging for the fence hard enough or you're not, you know, you're not on a mission to change something about the culture. By definition, no one's ever done it before. So who are you imposter? Like who are you, who are you, uh, how do you say that? How do you, who are you? Who are you imposter? <laughs> what is the word? Impostering. No, that's not the word. Uh, who are you pretending to be? Like there's no, there's no, um, there's no person to pretend to be impersonating. Jeez, my brain is not ready. It's my coffee. My coffee is low. <laughs> I, I wasn't getting it either. And I've had half a cup of tea already. So <laughs> Impersonating, yeah. right? So like if you, I mean, I guess we could deconstruct maybe what people mean when they say imposter syndrome is different than how I think of it. But it's like fake. I'm fake. I'm a fake because I don't know if this is going to work or I don't know if this is the right way to do it. I don't know how to do this thing I'm trying to do. It's like, well, no kidding. It's new. <laughs> no one ever right. did. And so right. that got us thinking, um, it's a creative act. So of course you don't know if it's going to work. And then the resistance showed up. It's like, oh, yes. that's probably what it is. Who am I to be thinking this big? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the crux of it. Classic resistance. So if you are doing something that is an attempt to, you know, like say change the culture or change your corner of the world, that's thinking pretty big, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, it, it might not be it. We're going to solve global warming today, but it's, it's going to make people's lives better. That's the intent, whether, whether it's a, a business to business kind of thing where you want to you know, it drives you crazy that people run inefficient paper processes and you want to modernize systems at big accounting firms or whatever, or it's the other end of the spectrum and you want to help people who have gone through a, a terrible identity loss, you know, f see it as a potentially good thing for growth, you know, something really uh, more California, I would say, than, than Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Was that was that too rude? I, I beg your pardon. <laughs> we always say woo woo. So um, I embody both Chicago, California, and for that matter, Connecticut, the state of my birth. So there. There you go. You got 
all three personalities. Um, exactly. Regional personalities. Okay, so so I think. What do you, tell me what you think? But I think that that reframing imposter syndrome as the resistance is potentially very helpful. Well, yeah. See, here's here's my problem. I've been trying to reframe this with people for probably the last couple of years because the thing is, it's really tempting to self-diagnose, right? To say, oh, I have imposter syndrome. I just can't do that. And so I don't like the label. And so yeah. I think turning it around and saying, no, what I have is I have fear about this for these reasons. And and I love the way Stephen Pressfield talks about resistance in the war of art. I mean, if you haven't thought about resistance, read that book. That'll give mm-hmm. you a crash course. And it's a fast, really good read. Mm-hmm. So it's that it, don't, you know, sort of name it to claim it. In this case, don't name it. Right, or at least mm-hmm. don't name it imposter syndrome because it allows you. It gives it. It's like a built-in excuse not to put yourself out there. Right. Yeah. It's like writer's block. You don't have writer's block. You don't. No. Right. It's like you don't want to write bad. You you can you you can write. <laughs> you can write. But if you want to write good, you got to write bad first. You got to write a lot of bad stuff first. It's not writer's block. Like if you're staring at a blinking cursor and you don't know what to write, it's just some decisions that you haven't made yet. So, you know, it's it's very similar. And that, that I feel, is a super obvious resistance kind of thing. Uh, the imposter syndrome thing is like, it's just another version of writer's block. It's But it's like a whole body writer's block. <laughs> you well, don't want to put yeah. yourself out there at all. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I certainly faced that when I was working on my book. And it wasn't in the writing of it. Because the writing of it was the creative act, right? Mm -hmm. That was, I won't say easy, but it flowed. It was natural. I could think about the the reader and and try to serve them with the writing. I mean, it was wonderful. But then when you get to the point where you actually have to release it out into the world, it gets more complicated. Mm, That's true. Because, yeah, I was just talking to, to someone yesterday about the first time somebody other than um, my family read the book, which happened to be you. Mm-hmm. And I remember just like sitting there with bated breath going, oh, my God, like, what's he going to think? Uh, <laughs> what if he says it sucks? Because I know you won't say it's good if it's not. Mm-hmm. And I figured uh, you might try to say it sucks really nicely. <laughs> but And that's just that's somebody I know and care about who I know is going to treat me you know, with respect, you know, forget the the world that's full of trolls and and other people. So, exactly. yeah, we all face it, but we have to get through it somehow, or we don't produce anything of any value right. for our audience. Right. So while you're saying that, it kind of occurred. It, it occurred to me that uh, I wonder. If, I wonder if people have not read that book. I mean, the book is like an all time bestseller. I mean, it's a classic. But it has art in the title, and I wonder if people who aren't, air quotes, artists, you know, I'm not a painter, I don't need to read that book. Uh, uh, you know, that's because I didn't actually read that one. I read Do the Work, and uh, it's it's uh, even shorter version of The War of Art, according to people who have read both. Mm-hmm. And um, I might, I wonder why, I wonder if I read Do the Work because of the title, and I didn't read The War of Art because I, I because of the title, because I don't... Pre- think of myself in those terms. And I, I'm not sure, but I think the subtitle has more than art in it about mm-hmm. business. And and the, the tone he takes in the book is that this is any endeavor, like a business counts 
as an endeavor because you are creating it. When you start a business, you're creating something new. But it absolutely is not intended just for artists. I would totally read it. Although I will say I reread it the night before I started writing my book. I felt like I just needed a little bit of extra inspiration at the start. (laughs) And it was awesome. I hadn't picked it up in, I don't know, two or three years at least. And boy, it's really good. If you're getting ready to start something and you've got this fear around it, read Pressfield, The War of Art, and you will be like the warrior ready to start your project by the time you're done. Right. It takes the feeling, it takes the label for the feeling and it puts it on an enemy instead of on yourself, which I think Mm. is a huge, it's a huge difference. It's almost funny. Like, like when you're aware of the resistance, (laughs) it even gives all these examples like, oh, let me guess. Yeah. You you ran out of ink or uh, the game is on, or you're just going to check Facebook once, just just one more time. And and, uh, it's hilarious because once you are, once, once you become aware of that, you become hyper aware of it. And it's funny. You're like, oh, I'm doing it. I'm letting yeah. it, I'm letting it, the resistance, interfere with what I'm trying to do. And mm-hmm. and the I'm not good enough thing is just one of them. You know, yeah. like, like what's another way to look at it? No one's good enough, right? Like who's, like any, think yeah. of anybody that's done something that you think is amazing, right? They were a baby once. They had no capabilities once. <laughs> it, so I don't know. Maybe you're 10, 10 years away from getting to the place that you want to go, but you got to start or you're never going to get there. It's going to be like 10 years later. You're going to be, oh, I've got imposter syndrome. I can't do anything. You know, that's not, we, right. I mean, if this sounds like tough love at all, it it's because we don't want you to be 10 years to be still stuck in the same place. So if yes. you could just reframe that feeling of imposter syndrome and, and, call it the resistance, it's an enemy trying to keep you down, then it's more something you can fight against than something needs to be treated. Well, and there's sort of a subset of this. And I'm thinking um, a new list member wrote to me in the last couple of days about this, and he was describing it as imposter syndrome. But really what he was saying, and I think he was in the earlier part of his career, is he was saying, you know, as I study more, I realize how little I actually know. And yeah, and I actually think that's a great place to start, right? Because then it it that's the beginnings of becoming an expert when you realize that you couldn't possibly know everything, and so then you can start to figure out how do I niche down in you know forget the the audience for the moment, but how do I niche down in the area of expertise that most intrigues me? Mm -hmm. Where where do I go? How do I think about this? So Mm -hmm. it's a signal. This stuff is, they're all signals. And I think if we use them, we can make them work for us rather than have it kind of tie our hands and not move forward. Yeah, that's that sophomore slump thing is, it's not exactly that. It's not sophomore slump. But but as you go from intermediate to, um, or sorry, from novice to intermediate, you, it's very common. It certainly happened with me in, in plenty of different domains where you realize that the surface area of your topic is way bigger than you thought mm-hmm. and and your your naive certainty starts to disappear because you're like oh this is way more complicated than i thought yeah i was too stupid to know how complicated this was like i knew so little about it that but here's the funny thing like when i look back at early articles i wrote like way back in 2009 2010 i look at them and i'm like i and i read them and i'm like this is not wrong but I know a hundred times more about it now in terms of how to get the message across to people. 
and like the struggles that they would go through trying to get from point A to point B. Because back when I wrote some of my early business coaching stuff, I was just telling the telling the way I did it and it did work, but not everybody mm-hmm. is exactly the same, newsflash. So teaching it to different people, different industries, different ages, different life stage, different financial situation, different level of responsibilities, different risk tolerance, different business structure. Like, I mean, that list I just rattled off the top of my head didn't exist when I first wrote that stuff. I was just like, well, if you're just like me, do this. <laughs> and it yeah. wasn't wrong, right? And it, and right. here's the thing. It's classic. It led me to the second stage where I was just like, oh, wow, this is way more complicated if you have a lot of employees. Or wow, this is way more complicated if you're a designer. Or wow, this is way more complicated if uh, you don't live in the United States for some reason or whatever the, the thing is. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you, all of these new avenues for research open up. and and But you do go through this phase where th- things are so... Things all of a sudden seem 10 or 100 times more complicated and, and it feels like, oh, wow, I actually don't know what you, you did know what you were talking yeah. about. But there's just more stuff that you yeah. don't, you didn't, you weren't aware of that now you need to learn too. So it's like you're you're on this learning curve, a new learning curve, and it's way, way steeper. So that can be scary. It can also be fun though. That sure. can also be really fun. If you like to learn and you're curious, you can go, oh my God, look at this. I thought this was one rabbit hole. It's 25 rabbit holes. Which one should I choose? Right? Yeah. Oh, I'll try this one. Nope. Not, not, that's not it. And you, yeah. I mean, it is, it's really intellectually, it's really interesting. Right. You, you get from, a, you, you go through this cycle of, you get this sense of mastery when you don't know what you don't know. And then you find out what you don't know, and you move into a, like exploratory phase, uh, which can be fun if you're if you know that's gonna it's gonna happen. It, it has to happen if you're if you're going deep on any subject. That's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay, cool. Explore. Like, where do I want to explore? You know, like how I'm gonna focus on I don't know t- design firms ditching hourly billing or lawyers or photographers ditching hourly billing. And here's the here's the thing. I I think at least for me, speaking for myself, when I got to that point. And here, here's where something that you could, something that could manifest as imposter syndrome happened at that point. So when I was teaching this stuff or, or trying to explain how I did it to people in 2009, 2010, I had already been doing the stuff I was teaching for three or four years. So I knew it worked. Like, I know it works. The, that's not the issue, right? So I had results. I had my own personal laboratory of proof. Uh, and so when I started to, you know, when you get to that phase where you're like, okay, well, how am I going to teach this to a designer? I, I'm not a designer. I don't have that. The, the, my business isn't set up that way. The customers are different. They want something mm-hmm. different. They're at a different point in the upstream, downstream continuum. The value that they deliver is a different kind of value. It's measured differently. Like everything's different. So, so I'm like, geez. So I'm like, I'm going to pick this rabbit hole, let's just say. And I go down that. How do I prove, first of all, not that I'm an imposter or not an imposter. It's that um, how do I find out if if my success is limited to my domain, right? I need to go to a to new, new domain, find a test subject or a beta customer or someone who uh, just jumps into the coaching program or whatever of, you know, they're just like, I know you just help software developers, but I, I really want to work together. Okay. I'll, let's try it. It'll be an experiment. And, and the, the sense, the thing that you might consider 
imposter syndrome, which really is probably the resistance, or it's just the fact that you don't know if it's going to work. It doesn't, you know, you're doing mm -hmm. an experiment. It's it's not like scientists aren't imposters because they don't know what's going to happen at the end of the experiment. <laughs> they're scientists, like they're doing an experiment. Of course, it might not work. That's the idea. And that's how I kind of approached it. So it, it's, it wasn't, I didn't feel like an imposter. I felt like a scientist. And guess what? I, and I guess that's why I don't really, I, I don't, I've probably felt the feeling that people call imposter syndrome, but I don't label it that way. And the thing that makes me sure that I'm not full of it is that when I work with someone, they they have an objective. And when you deliver the results that they want, it proves that it worked. It's like the experiment worked. You know, it's like right. the person comes, what do they want? Uh, they want X, Y, or Z or whatever. And it's like, okay. Let's see if we can do that. And then they do it. And it's like, okay, experiment success. <laughs> the hypothesis proven, right? And then if you amass, if, if over time in your work, whatever it is, you come up with uh, progress metrics and success metrics for the people that you're working with, which they need to bring to you. You can't put words in their mouth around what they want. But if they want something and you're like, okay, I think we can do that. Or I, I'm confident that we can do that. And then you do it. Then getting results, which could be manifest as testimonials or case studies or or just you know private thank yous or whatever, then you're like okay, I, I'm you can kind of prove to yourself if you if that you're not an imposter, but you have to go out on that ledge first. You can't know that it's going to work beforehand because it's an experiment. Yeah, I mean, I like I like I like that positioning. And as you were saying that, the other thing that hit me is that this whole idea of imposter syndrome and even resistance is. The emphasis is on me, right? Meaning you. It's uh -huh. not on your audience. It's not on right. your clients. It's not on the other people. And so it's it's very me-centered. And that generally doesn't go well with yeah. anything in business, right? You want to focus outward. So if you think about it, if you're starting to feel that, like I feel that way sometimes as I'm getting ready to do like a big podcast interview, right? I'm going on somebody else's show and... The, the way that I channel that is how am I going to help that audience? What exactly. What is it, you know, how does my message fit with their audience and their message to their audience? What What will they want to hear that will help them that, that I really know? How can I do that bridge? And for me and pretty much every client I've ever worked with, the second we turn our focus away from ourselves and onto the audience, everything's easier. Because you're focused on them and getting right. them the things that they want or the value that, that you can deliver. Yeah, right. It goes from thinking about like, is, does, how does my hair look? Where do I put my hands? Yeah, you're just yeah. totally in yourself <laughs> into, you know, who, how can I help, right? And if, interestingly enough, I know we both do the same thing because we've talked about it before. That's the, that's the same reason we don't get butterflies in a sales interview because yeah. we're not there to 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 clear some bar you know we're not there to put on a performance like an a plus performance right. it's not a performance it's like hey how can i help period right and it's the exactly. same thing i do the exact same thing on a show if if i am you know you're right you're like you're like wow this is a big show the stakes are high i want to be perfect or mm -hmm. i want to i i want to be good like yep. you know i want my performance to be good it's just like when i was a musician where i was totally self-centered i just wanted to like do I look cool? Great. Do you know? Does, does everybody think I'm an amazing shredding guitarist? Great. Mission accomplished. So of course no one wanted to listen to me because I was just completely just this ego monster, the me monster on stage. 
uh, the worst, just the worst. So if, and ironically, and, and there was a lot of stress around that. Same thing. Is my hair perfect? Yeah. You know. Yes. Right. So, yeah. Watch me. Watch me. See me. Yeah. Look at me. Yeah. Right? You're putting yeah. yourself on a pedestal. So then people, you know, and and I could see. I could see where that would lead to something that you might label imposter syndrome because you just, it's just, I, I don't think that's what most people are doing, like that are listening to the show, I think, but I do think it's an edge case that's important to point out and, and switching to a posture of service, how can I help, I, I think is a, uh, a really effective way to cut down on perfectionism, which is another resistance thing and could also be you know if you're measuring yourself against perfect your idea of perfect or someone who you think is perfect then you might label that resulting feeling as imposter syndrome because i'm not as good as or i'm as i want to be or i'm not as good as this other person i see but that's not the point you're not here to be perfect or better than someone else you're here to help and if you focus on that you don't have to be perfect you just need to be you just need to help you need to be good enough to help like if someone's drowning and you swim out to save them. Like I, I can't swim to save my own life. But if I saw someone <laughs> drowning, I'd probably jump in and hope I was tall enough to reach them and just be like, you know, but I'm not going to be like, oh, my backstroke's not that great. I can't save that person. You know, you would never, no one would ever do that. I'm not a great swimmer. I'm not going to go save that person. Right. But if you're just, yeah, if you're like, I'm not good enough. Right. I'm not good enough to save them. my My backstroke's not perfect. <laughs> no, you're going to jump in, you're going to save them and they're going to thank you. So it's, it's like that, like imagine people in the audience or your audience or someone else's audience, imagine they're drowning and you're here to help with your, your terrible doggy paddle. You're just, you're, you'll pull them out of the water and they'll thank you. And then you're like, wow, I delivered results. I guess I'm not an imposter. Well, I think there's also, there's, there's kind of two pieces of this. There's the ideas Right. That we're, and that's really what we're talking about is that you have an idea of something and you're going to mm -hmm. prove how it works. There's another piece that's kind of insidious in current society, which is appearance. There are lots of people who are like, okay, I'm as good as so and so, you know, name whoever's like a big name in that field, but I'm not, or I'm fatter, skinnier, uh -huh. taller, shorter. Uh, uglier, uh, I, I don't have a beard or I do have a beard, like whatever those things are. So there's this judgment about how you look compared to somebody else that's in that field. And, you know, it's very real. But I tell you, the people that I am just so inspired by are the ones that are just themselves. Mm. And they're always the best. And are they are they typically the most beautiful or the most handsome? Not usually. They're the most interesting because they they're comfortable in their own skin and they just move forward with it. So I, yeah. I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the appearance thing, but it absolutely keeps a lot of people off. And when I say podiums, I mean you know video, mm -hmm. um, live streams, things like that. People are uncomfortable pushing yeah. themselves out there. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. And like think and to bring it back to the previous metaphor, like. If somebody pulls you out of the water from drowning, do you care what they look like? <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, oh my God, you parted your hair on the wrong side. Yeah, no, yeah, put yeah, me yeah. back. <laughs> oh, that beard is just. <laughs> uh, I, I have to laugh because I do the, the group coaching and we record it. And um, I don't usually rewatch the recordings. And for some reason, I was watching a piece of it and I was laughing because I, I looked so ridiculous. It just wasn't even funny. But it was my, it was my concentration look. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I looked like I was probably having a stroke, um, <laughs> but I was concentrating on what somebody was saying. And yeah. it's like, fine. You know, I just, I just don't care. I mean, it's the purpose is to serve the people in that moment, yeah. um, even if I look ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. The, if you ever think like, ah, oh, you know, I, I'm pretty good, right? Just, just take a video of yourself and pause it at any point. <laughs> like, I had, I had to edit like, like I don't know, 20 hours of video for the pricing seminar one time, like in one sitting, and I, and you just you have to pause the video and add something in. It's just like, what is wrong with me? I, I can't. I'm like a monster. You know, <laughs> it's so funny. And we all, you know, unless you're a narcissist, we all feel that way about watching ourselves or listening to ourselves. So it's like, it's sort of like, you know, get over yourself. But I, I, yeah, I know what that sounds like. But it really is, the important thing is that you put yourself and your ideas out there authentically and the right people will respond. That's how you're going to build an audience, build a community, build a client base. Yeah. You know, I'm running a a five-day podcast challenge now and there are people that are like, English isn't my first language. I'm kind of embarrassed about my accent or my word choice or or just straight up embarrassed about that. My voice is squeaky or it's like, you know, that's that's you. And, and the funny the funny thing about people who hear their voice recorded for the first time, and I get it. I mean, I, I've been recording my voice since I was a little kid, you know, in music. So I'm just used to it. And, and other people, you know, they they're um, the first time they really hear it, they get super self-conscious about it. And I, I try to remind them, I'm like, you, you have, you know, a husband or a wife or kids, like none of them thinks your voice is weird. <laughs> you're, you're just hearing it for the first time. Everybody else has been hearing it all along. And and I'm sure no one yeah. tells you, boy, you have the weirdest voice. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and just as a side comment, anyone who is recording a podcast in English and it's not their native language, oh my God, I bow down to you. Exactly. I mean, right. that's a skill set that so many people across the world don't have. It's impressive. So I would be, I would be proud of my accent. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, that that was. I actually polled a bunch of people on this exact question because that was my reaction. I'm like, your English is a lot better than my Croatian, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You're embarrassed yeah. about your English, and uh, everybody. It was like across the board unanimous. Everybody had the same reaction. It's like if English isn't your first language, but you're doing a podcast in English and we can understand you. That's like wow, you go. Yeah, yeah so exactly. It's not about perfect. It's about helping, and it, it's really you know, I, probably every literally everyone listening to this podcast is in some kind of service business. They're trying to help other people. They're in service of others. And nobody, nobody needs perfect. I doubt many people even want perfect or would be able to define it. They want to be helped, right? So like finding out the transformation, helping them achieve it, and then, you know, hearing the reaction, the customer satisfaction coming back is certainly one really, uh, I guess, practical anecdote to a feeling you might label imposter syndrome. It's like, oh, this does work. Like this process or this approach or these ideas, they work. Yeah, it's the expression perfectly imperfect comes to Mm. mind because you probably have in your head this idea of perfection and whatever that is, whether it's the way you speak or the way you appear on video with every hair in place in your diction perfect, you know, (laughs) but that definition probably isn't the same for your audience. And so we're all perfectly imperfect. So why not use those things that you maybe think aren't perfect? 
but they're probably what make you you and yeah. make you interesting or mesmerizing even, right? And he put those things front and center. That's yeah. that's when when people really start to come into their own. And we all love somebody who is comfortable in their own skin. We want to be around people like that. Yeah. It, get, it almost touches on a little bit the topic from last time about trusting your voice. Yeah. It's like, be, be weird, you know, that, yeah. that'll make you one of a kind. You are one of a kind already. It's like, let us know. And the people who dig it are going to be attracted to you. The people who don't, you don't want to work with anyway, because then you just constantly be uh, pretending to be something you're not in order to, to uh, sort of meet their expect their, their mistaken expectations that you set <laughs> by being, oh. not being yourself. Yeah. yeah, when I when I first started doing speaking engagements, you know, way back in my 20s, I felt like I had to be so perfect when I was on the stage because I was way younger than everybody else in the audience. And I'm like, why mm. are they going to listen to me? I'm just a kid. Like, Wonder who's going to listen? Yeah, who's going to listen to me? And so, yeah, so it was, I, I felt like I, I'm, sh- I'm just absolutely sure that I used bigger words. I used more formal language. I used a particular kind of body language to push this. But those weren't really me. And as I continued, I got more me. But that's how I started because I felt like that's what it was supposed to be. You know, I'm on the stage. I better, yeah. I better be perfect or they're never going to ask me back. Yeah. The, the term that you reminded me of, the fake it till you make it, um, I, I don't love that phrase, but I like it a lot better than I have imposter syndrome because it does kind of imply that the person is at least making forward motion. And it's um, it, it has a negative connotation for me because it, it's almost like it almost has like a, a con man sort of a, a yeah. feel to You're it. You're putting on a performance. Yeah, I don't love yeah. it, but but it does, you could take it in a way that I do kind of like, which is like, I know I don't know everything about this, or I know I'm not, or I'm, sh- I'm sure this might not work, or I know that this might not work, but I'm going to do it anyway. And why would you do it anyway? Because you're helping someone. Like, I keep coming back to that, but, yeah. but like, I might, I might drown going to save that person. It might not work. It might not, but I know the right thing to do. And if you have the courage to do it anyway, then good, like good. That's what you, that's, that's the idea, right? Well, maybe it's, it's, you know, work it till you make it instead of fake it till you Uh, make it. I mean, yeah. Or try, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, the thing about fake it till you make it is it almost, it feels like there's a trick in there, like you're tricking people. And that's, I don't like that. Yeah. But, yeah. but expecting to have all your ducks in a row before you take step one is not the real world. And meanwhile, people are drowning. I got to get off this metaphor, but, but meanwhile, people need you. And yes. while you're out, while you're out back polishing up your, your 12 point system in private, without even exposing it to the air to see if it would would survive contact with the uh, the real universe. I don't try not to say enemy. Um, yeah, it's like it's like you're never going to be ready. <laughs> it's just like do it. I don't yeah. know. I, I'm, if I sound frustrated, it's because I, I'm in the middle of this. I'm in the middle of, um, you know, a group thing where where all of these things are coming up and and I just want to shake people and be like, no, it's going to be OK. This is a very low risk thing. It feels it feels like the stakes it are. It feels high risk, it but feels it is super low high risk. risk. Yeah. The reality is, it's 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 pretty much zero risk. 
I could imagine some ways that you would blow yourself up, but none of these people are going to do that. And, and it's, um, I, I just wish I could wave a magic wand and, and I'm, I don't know if it's the word is confidence or, or just, just not, it's not confidence so much as just not worrying about all the potentially, all the potential ways this could go wrong or could have gone better if I had just blah, blah, blah. And it's really all about getting started quickly and iterating on something that's in flight, you know, instead of, instead of having this sort of uh, hothouse flower kind of idea that you just think about in a vacuum Mm -hmm. for way too long. I mean, I, I can't count how many, how many people who come into the the podcast challenge it's five days it's like it, it's such a it's such a challenge to be it, that's why i called it a challenge it's like you've probably been and this is true so many of them have been thinking about starting a podcast for a year two years five years and then five days later they're inviting guests right and and it's like and so great so everybody in there everybody in the current one will surely do that i i am confident that everybody's going to do it but i still it it's it's painful for me to see people wrestling with this exact phase and none, nobody's calling it imposter syndrome, but I'm like super jacked up about it right now. So I apologize <laughs> if I'm soapboxing like crazy. Well, it's this idea that, that you act anyway. And that's really what we're talking about. You right. act anyway. That's and the definition of courage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's some people, and we all know them, that have to study an issue to death before they take a step. I was mentoring somebody on a on a platform to sell some of their stuff, and I just had a 45-minute conversation and said, here's what you do. Here's the process. Here's where you go. We walk through how to list something on it. We were done. Three mm-hmm. months later, nothing's listed. Still trying to figure out what the price should be. I'm like... <laughs> That's there's nothing I I can do or say that's going to get her out of this mind. I shouldn't say there's nothing. I'm just not interested at this mm. point. Um, but yeah, there there are there will be some people who have to study some something to death. Just don't be one of them. <laughs> this idea of acting anyway, and you can play that what if. Okay, so what if I start a podcast in my first episode, my voice sounds squeaky. Okay. Well, let's try it again. Let's do the second episode and see what happens. Yeah, my voice still sounds squeaky. Yeah, but you know what? You now have three listeners. So there's three people who really like you. And I don't. I think they must like your voice if they're listening. Well, that's my mom and my dad and my brother. Okay, well, let's do it another week. And then they have 10 listeners. And then they have 20 or 100. It's just you just have to keep doing it to just act anyway. Mm-hmm. Act as if that doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. Well, because the only place it does exist is in your head. Because don't worry, podcast listeners will complain if they don't like something. And if they're <laughs> they not <will>. complaining, <laughs> if they're not complaining about your squeaky voice, then it's fine. And and even if they do, there are people who have 100,000 listeners and somebody complains about something like that. Do you think that that, that host of that show cares that one person in 100,000 doesn't like their voice? Mm. No. Delete. Right. Thank you very much. Bye. Right. And but if everybody in your audience says like your audio quality is really janky, which happened to us early on, mm-hmm. and it's like a lot of people, and it's like it, it wasn't yeah. like our brand to have janky audio. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, okay, you're right. Okay, let's see what let's see what we can do about that. So you just iterate, you improve it over time. I didn't go back and repair the old episodes. You know, it's like oh, you gosh, just no. keep, keep moving forward. And I don't know. Are we are we are we getting off topic here? I I feel like I feel like we're not. 
but we've touched on way more things than I expected. Well, it's it, these are all related. I mean, how do you battle resistance? Courage, right? What's courage? Showing up and acting, even yeah. though you're afraid. I mean, that's yeah. really what we're talking about. Because the truth is that everybody's afraid of something. We mm-hmm. all are. And we push ourselves to do it anyway, or we make ourselves small or smaller so that we don't have to um, battle that fear. And I'm a big believer that we do the things that we're good at and we improve those rather than take something you're terrible at and try to make it better. But yeah. in the case of something like a podcast, what you're trying to do is get your message out. You want to get your message out and you feel so strongly about that, that you're willing to do things that don't feel comfortable in mm-hmm. order to live out your mission. So you want to, you want to try, you want to take action, you'll get better. And if you're not sure, listen to our early podcasts and listen to my voice <laughs> then and listen to it now and, and the audio quality. And you'll see, I mean, I'd never podcasted before. And here I am with someone who had done so many, um, that was intimidating, but I didn't care because the focus was on the audience. The focus was on the message and how mm-hmm. we get it out. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's yet another related thing that you just reminded me of, which is it's in another it's another Sethism as well, which is like I can't coach you on how to run a marathon without getting tired, but I can help you figure out where to put the tired. Like yesterday, I was chatting with mm. uh, a coaching student who's doing something really hard. So the details don't matter, but it's really hard. And of course, he's like he's like oh, you know, he's sort of he's uh, feeling the weight of of the effort right mm, yeah. and, and and you know not, not i wouldn't say he's getting demoralized but it's not a great feeling right he's got this feeling right. it just feels like he's he's treading water and it's in in quicksand and um and i was like Ugh. yeah i'm like but uh, but you know knowing all the details i can completely understand why he would feel like that so i just wanted to let him know and i think this helped it's like what you're doing is hard. It doesn't just feel hard. It doesn't, it's not because you're doing it the wrong way. It's actually hard. So for it, if it didn't feel hard, that would be weird. So, it, you know, and there's a light at the end mm-hmm. of the tunnel. You know, there are all these signs that you're actually not treading quicksand. You, you are moving forward. It just feels way slower than you wanted. But it's supposed to be like that. So that seemed to help, right? So, so mm-hmm. it's the same with any creative act, which everyone listening to this has some, something, whether you think of yourself as an artist or a business person, you're creating something to put in the world but to, I, I, to help other people. I can't think of another reason to do it, just to help other people. And that's always going to involve a creative act and you're always going to feel the resistance. It never goes away. I don't, I don't think I'll live yeah. long enough for it to go away. Yeah. You just have to act anyway. I love that. That should be your next book. Yes. Act anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Jonathan and Aunt Rochelle are telling you. <laughs> oh, my God. The couple's therapy comment. Oh, uh, that was hysterical. Somebody sent in a really great email. Was it an email? That was great. Yeah, it was an email. Um, so, yeah. I I don't know if we need to keep going around the circle on this, but, but you know, you tell me. What do you think? I feel like we've we've circled this like a couple of different maybe four different ways i think Mm. maybe we put a pin in it yeah okay cool all right folks that's our soapbox for this week (laughs) i'm jonathan stark and i'm rochelle moulton and we hope you join us again next time on the business of authority bye Bye bye-bye